Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place today. God, I thank you that each person here has a story. Each person here has a story of redemption. Each person here has a, has a story of love. Each story here is full of grace and mercy and compassion. And there's no story that is alike in this room. Lord, I know that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to have all of eternity to sit and to listen to people's stories, to meet new people and to talk to new people. And, and Lord, that people will want to know our story and we'll listen to their story. And Lord, we thank you that there is a red line of your grace and your blood that runs through all of our stories that is redeeming all of us from our fallen nature. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. And I know that God has got some awesome things in store today. Um, forgive me for a moment. My... Uh, Hack has come undone and is already fall off, so that's fixed. All right, and uh, thank you guys, awesome, awesome job. And listen, I just want to say, first off today, as we begin to get started in this particular sermon, that it's probably going to be a whole lot more teaching today than preaching. And so, if you came to get raw, rawed up today probably not going to be your day, but I think that if you take what I'm about to say in the next few moments, it will get you pretty fired up, and, um, and so I just want to share with you what I feel God has given me today as we continue through our series, The Basics. Last week, we talked about communion. We took communion together. Today, we're going to talk about a Christian worldview. What does that even mean, Right? Well, believe it or not, everybody in this room has a worldview, and I'll explain what that is in a little bit, but what I want to start off with is this, this, this apple, right? Here, here's an apple, and I, I don't know fully what it tastes like, I've not bitten into it, but if I were to take this apple, and I were to approach three different people with this apple, if I were to approach a botanist... A botanist would tell me that this is a such-and-such such apple that came from a such-and-such such tree. If I took it to a kid, right, a kid would look at it differently. If I took it to a baker, a baker would look at it differently. Anytime that we talk about a worldview and the way that we perceive the world, there are three questions that have to be answered. Now, you might... Uh, listen to someone like John Lennox or Ravi Zacharias or Abdu Murray, a Christian apologist, and they might tell you there's more. But for us this morning, there's three questions. One, where did we come from? Who are we? And where are we going? Those are three basic questions that every worldview answers. And there are all kinds of worldviews. There's Christian worldview, Islamic worldview, Buddhist, Hindu worldview, a naturalistic worldview. There are all sorts of worldviews through which people look at the world. But all of them inherently try to answer at the very basic level these three, these three questions. And so if I go back to the apple and I talk to the botanist, he's going to tell me, where did it come from? Well, the botanist is going to tell me, 
It came from such and such tree. He's going to give me some scientific name, etc. If I ask the kid where the apple came from, they might say, Mom. And if I ask the baker where the apple came from, he's going to say, the store. You see, they all three have different points of origin. If I ask the botanist, who is this apple, or what is this apple, right? The botanist is, again, going to give me some scientific definition. He's going to give me the proper name. If, if I ask the kid what this is, the kid is going to say, well, that's food. And if I ask the baker, the baker is going to say, it's delicious. If I ask the botanist about the apple and I say, where's it going? The botanist will say, well, it's going to eventually fall from the tree. It's going to die. And the part of the apple on the outside that dies and begins to rot will be food for the seed for it to grow another tree. If I ask the kid, hey, where's this apple going? The kid's going to say, my mouth. Right? And you might be thinking that right now. If I ask the baker where it's going, the baker will say, into a pie. You see, they all three have different world views. The, a world view is the way in which you view the world. I see a lot of you with glasses on this morning. A world view, imagine your glasses, and all your glasses have lenses, right? They have lenses. Those lenses help you see. If the lenses were darker, like this morning I was driving right into the sun and I put my sunglasses on and so it darkened them. If, and they were, they were dark sunglasses. If they had a pink lens, the world would be pink. And they'd all be happy with unicorns and rainbows, right? And how those lenses define how you see life. Your worldview is how you define and see life. And there are multiple things that create your lenses and how you view life. It might be a set of beliefs. It might be a set of assumptions. It might be a set of ideas. It might likely be the culture that you grew up in defines your lenses. It could be the media that you listen to or watch define your worldview, the lenses by which you see the world. It could be the music that you listen to that define how you see the world. It could be your political views that define how you view and see the world. All of these things combined together cause you to, cause you to see circumstances and situations in the world in such a way that somebody else sitting next to you may not. And what we have to define for ourselves as Christians is that if I'm a Jesus follower and I love God with all of my heart, how does God say I'm supposed to see the world? Because everything else is subjective. Everything else can change. The media can change and politics can change and circumstances can change. And if you hang out with me long enough, you're going to find out the music changes. Because in my, in my iTunes, I've got... I, I'm probably one of the most eclectic music listeners you will ever listen to. I've got everything from opera to rap to country to heavy metal. To, and it all just depends on the mood I'm in. Right? Joseph's nodding his head with me. He's like, yeah, I know. You're nuts. <laughs> and so it's, it's all, all of these things combined cause you to, how do you see the world? So... 
a worldview must be, in order for a worldview to be viable, there are three things that it must be. One, it must be logically consistent. What do I mean by that? I mean that when a worldview suggests something in one area and then suggests something in another area and another area and another area, is it consistent across the board? Right? It must be logically consistent across all of the claims that it makes. Because if it falters in one area, then how do we know it's not right or wrong in another area? You all got that one friend that sometimes when they talk, you're like, I don't know, like, what's up with you, right? Because, like, you sometimes, like, sometimes you tell me the truth, and other times it's so exaggerated, I can't tell if it's exaggeration or a lie, right? You're like, you don't know. You just, you just don't know what they're saying. You don't know what they're, what they're talking about. So how do you know? And so the same is true with a worldview. It must be logically consistent on everything that it claims. It must be logically consistent on the claims from where we came from, where we are, and where we're going, if we're going to answer those questions. The second thing is that it must be verifiable. I must be able to verify this worldview, whether it be through archaeology, through history, uh, through science, through sociology, and psychology, whatever the study is, it must be verifiable. Right? How many of you ever get some, you ever, like, I'm just going to go there for a minute, okay? Like when the pandemic happened, some of you are going to throw stones at me later. Um, I'll just say he is without sin, throw the first one, because that's what Jesus said. But, look, when this whole pandemic thing started, right, I never realized how many of my social media friends, friends, are conspiracy theorists. Did you notice that? I'm like about a month or two into it, I'm like, you? You too? Not you, right? And you start to look, you ever, like, you ever start to look at some of it? And I'm like, no, no, come on, right? And, and then you have to ask yourself, what do you ask? Number two, is it verifiable? Mm. Probably not, right? Is, is what you're saying, can I verify it throughout all of the studies, history, sociology, archaeology, science, um, psychology, and so on? Is it ver- and then the third thing is, is it relevant to life? Does it shape my life? Does it make my life make sense? Is it helping me make sense? Where is it taking me, Right? Is it causing my life to be better? Is it causing my marriage to be better? Is it causing my relationships to be better? Or is it just there? Is this making sense? Are you guys with me this morning? Like I said, I'm not really preaching. I'm just, this is teaching today. But these are basics. You call yourself a Christian, there's a certain way that Christians look at the world and everything that's going on. Let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to read it. It won't be up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Or if you've got your phones, you can turn there. But Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing 
perfect will. What's he tell us? He says, listen, don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking. You watch TV long enough and listen to the radio long enough, you'll start getting your mind shaped and conformed. If you're a Christian, then I got news for you. CNN and Fox and MSNBC cannot be your commentary on the world. They can't be. You'll be the most confused person in the world. This is the commentary for what's going on in the world. Jesus even said the closer we get to the last days, lawlessness would increase. Jesus said it. The closer we get to the end, the more lawlessness you're going to see. The more outrage you're going to see. It's inevitable. Peter, um, let's read this. I'm sorry, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Again, it won't be on the screen. Just listen. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to stop right there for a minute. Whatever is pure, lovely, admirable. You say, well, I'm, I'm thinking about something that's trustworthy. That's all right. But guess what? He says, think on all of these things. Whatever is true, whatever is trustworthy, what is, whatever is admirable. Think about these things. Think about all of these things together. And the only thing, when you combine all of those things, the only thing that's all of that together is God and his word. And so what he's saying is, listen, all day long, your mind has to be focused on God. Because if not, it's going to get pulled in a million different directions, and you're going to be so confused, you're not going to know which end is up. Do you want proof of that? Go outside of these walls and look at the world. They don't know which end is up. They don't know how to solve the problems. They don't know what to do. They're confused. And here's the thing about human intellect. Human intellect's good to a point. Except that you'll never be able to outsmart Satan. He's studied us for 6,000 years. Do you really think that in your short 50 years or 40 years that you're going to be able to outthink Satan? No. I had this argument going on in my head the other day. I had just, you ever just have one of those days where it's like negative, negative, negative? All your thoughts are like, come on, you just can't get over the hurdle. And so what happens? Well, then I start, and I realize that this is not me. Tyson, this is not you. It may sound like your voice in your head, but this is not you. Without time to get into it, this is what the Bible calls a familiar spirit. Basically demonic forces that are sent to study you. And I realize that this is a demonic force speaking into my head. And I'm telling me stuff. And finally, I start trying to outlogic it. I said, no, but the Bible says, you know, this. No, but this. No, but this. And then, you know, eventually what happens is I can't keep up with it. I can't keep up with it. So you know what I do? I said, that's fine. You think that logic, that's fine. But I can outlove you. I can outfaith you. I can outhope you, and I can outlove you. And I'm going to tell you, when I said that, the voice went away. You'll never be able to outthink Satan. But through the word of God, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, what did he do? He said, it is written. It is in the Bible. It's in the word. That's why we have to know the word so that we can combat those thoughts that come into our head. That the, the word of God will get, take root in us and begin to grow. Do you know one of the major problems? I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but I'm going to. One of the major problems with our society today 
is that too many churches have become self-help institutions. Help me better my marriage. Help me be a better employee. Help me be a, a better person. Help, help me get rid of anxiety. And churches that focus on that are simply focusing on the branches of the tree. And they're not focusing on the root that's, in the, that's down deep. The root is the word of God and the spirit of God living in me. And the more that I know the Bible, the more that I obey Jesus, and the more that I understand this thing called the gospel and I get it into me, then a better marriage and being a better uh, employee and getting rid of anxiety will all eventually go. But you have to get the root down. And if all I'm coming to is felt needs, oh, help me be a better marriage. Listen, as soon as a pandemic hits, you're out the door because I can watch a YouTube video on a better marriage. I can, I can read a book on how to be a better employee. I don't need church for that. But what I need church for is to find Jesus in my heart, rooting out the evil that is in me because the Christian worldview says that I am a fallen man and everything about me is evil and I need to be regenerated in the deepest part of me. If you don't believe that's true, sit by yourself on the couch in silence for a while and watch the thoughts that start popping into your head. I don't preach myself happy and you all look like you're still asleep. Look, the Christian worldview, if we go, let's, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. 1 Peter 1, 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The Greek word here for do not is the word, you guys will appreciate this, this is just odd. Me, N-E, me, do not, me. It literally means absolutely, objectively, no. There is no question. There is no question here that it is no. And so he says no. Do not absolutely, objectively, do not be conformed. The word conformed is a compound Greek word. The first part is sus, S-U-S-S, sus, and it means... To identify with something. It means to take on the identity of. It means to either the identity of someone or something. It means to connect to and identify with. And then the second part of that word is, I'm going to botch this up, but just sit with me. Um, Kimetizo, kimetizo, I think. But it means from the outside in. It means from the outside in. To, be, to have pressure from the outside in. And so what does he say? He says, do not associate or take your Christian identity and link it up to something out here in the world. Because it will begin to conform and shape you. It will shape the way you think. It will shape the way you act. It will shape the way you talk. It will shape the way you see things. And so Peter tells his audience, he says, listen, absolutely do not allow yourself to be conformed to the way this world thinks and operates. You must be completely different from that. So I'm going to do something here just for a minute. What I'm going to do is I'm going to Tysonize this verse. I'm going to read the Tyson, Tysonized version. 
Okay? I'm simply going to pull the words out and I'm going to insert the definitions. Listen to this. As children who obey, there can be no question, absolute objectivity in this matter, that you are not allowing the world's pattern to mold your thoughts, character, and life as it did when you lived in ignorance of God's word. That's pretty resolute. There can be no doubt that when people see you, they see Jesus, they see a Christian worldview, and they see the Christian way of doing things. I love what Dr. Tony Evans said in regards to racism. He said, he said racism is not a sociology problem. It's a sin, therefore making it a theology problem. It is deep in the heart of men to try to make ourselves think that we are better than somebody else. Isn't that exactly what Satan did? Isn't that, why he, isn't that why Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning? Because Satan said, you know what, I'm just as good as he is. I'll take his spot. Mm. <laughs> God said, out. And a third of you that agree with him, out. Right? So what are the, what are the four components of a worldview? The four components of a worldview are origin, a worldview gives the origin of man. It gives the meaning of why we exist. It should give you a, it provides some sense of morality, right, wrong, or indifferent. And it should give you a sense of destiny, where humanity is going. A worldview comprises all of those. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So, okay, let's go to class. You guys ready to go to class? All right, school's in session. Okay, so a Christian worldview says this. You ready? Because if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, this is inherently what you believe. This is what you're supposed to believe. All right, a Christian worldview is centered on God. That's really small, isn't it? Okay, I'll try to do better. This isn't... I'm not used to this. All right. So God created right? God created origin right here. God created. We sinned. We fell. Because of that fall, we needed a savior. To bring us back into right standing, that is Jesus. And because of that Savior, we now have a relationship back into right standing. If you read the book of Genesis, it says that God came down in the garden and walked with Adam and Eve. God originally designed us for relationship with him. In the Garden of Eden, it was that way. Let me blow your mind with something else. Who's the physical form of God? Jesus. Who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden? Jesus. Because Jesus is the physical manifestation of God. It was Jesus that walked with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? Jesus would be like, yeah, you want to meet me at Panera at noon? Or sit down and have a talk? 
But that's the way it was originally. And so we sinned, we fell, we have a savior, we have a relationship. One day we are going to heaven. That's where we're going. That's our destiny, right? And all of this is predicated on God. The Christian worldview is centered around God and what he says about humanity and where we're going and what we're doing. So what does that mean? Well, that means if heaven is up, let me get a different collar. So if heaven is up here, that's, what did I write a W? Anyway, heaven is up here, and we are now, the Bible says, seated with Jesus in heavenly places, that this is our home, then that means that this thing called planet Earth that we're down here right now living on, like my stick figure, right? We are, we are camping. This isn't home. The world isn't home. It's not. You know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of, I don't do a lot this year so much, but I usually do a lot of hiking. I'm backpacking, right? That's where you spend a lot of money to live home, like, a, like a homeless person out in the wilderness, right? And so, and Joseph says, I'm nuts, man. He's like, man, there's wild animals out there. He's like, you're crazy. But, and so, I'm camping. I'm not, I'm not, that's not my home. I don't want to live out there because believe it or not, as much as I enjoy being out there, I want to take a shower at some point. Right? I gotta get cleaned up. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, the Bible says that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so the Bible says that we are called, because of our Christian worldview, to be holy. To be holy as he is holy. Now the Greek implies to be holy doesn't mean that you're instantly holy. It means to become. It's a work, it's a sanctification, it's a work in process. We are to become holy as he is holy. Right? And so that one day, when we're done camping down here, whether that's 50 years, 20 years, or 80, or 100 years, we go home. This is the Christian worldview. This is what inherently say, as a Christian, this is what I believe, that we are all fallen. And all the problems of the world are a result of the fallen nature and the fallen thought process of man. So let's look at... Can I get a volunteer to come up and just hold this? Anybody? Any? Look, the kids aren't in here today to bail you out. So, Steve, come on up, man. Thanks, Steve. You're the man. All right. So this is the Christian worldview. Now, a lot of people live, and I'm, I'm just going to address one other worldview this morning, with what's known as a naturalistic worldview. Okay? A naturalistic worldview... One says, God doesn't exist. There is no God. Okay? So where did we come from? Well, there was a big bang. Right? There was nothing, and then suddenly there was something. That takes a lot of faith, by the way. <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> All right. So there was a big bang. Um, we, didn't, we didn't sin. There, there is no concept of sin, so we are just who we are, right? And there is no need for a savior because God doesn't exist, there is no sin, therefore I just live on this planet, right? And if, I, if, there, if there's no sin and no savior, 
well, then what am, I, what am I here for? Where am I going? What am I doing? Well, well I'm going, you guys, this is, this is amazing. You ready? I'm going to die. So what should I do between the point where I live and where I die? Well, I need to make this world a better place. Well, how do I make this world a better place? Well, if God does, uh-oh, you ready? I'm going to step on somebody's toes. If God doesn't exist, the next level of power is not God. The next level of power is government. And I have to rely on the government to do everything for me. So snap. Right? So what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to make the world a better place. But how do I make the world a better place? Well, I have my idea, and you have your idea, and you have your idea, and you have your idea, and everybody's got their own ideas how to make the world a better place. And it's incongruent. So what do I do? I fight. I lobby. I got I to gotta get my viewpoint out there. Right? And so what happens? Well, now this world that I live in, if there's none of this, then I live to be happy. And I pursue happiness. And if something doesn't make me happy, then I just get up and leave and go someplace else. This is a naturalistic worldview. And a naturalistic worldview is ran by feelings. I feel this way today, so I'm going to do this. I think, this, I think differently today, so I'm going to follow my feelings this way. This is home, and because this is home, this doesn't exist. There is no heaven. I just live here for now, and so I'm going to live for my feelings, however I feel, whatever I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And you can't tell me no, because there is no God. There is no absolute, right? There are no absolutes. I love that phrase, because that phrase in and of itself just totally negates itself. Some of you will get it at 3 a.m. and wake up in bed. There are no absolutes, okay? Now, what we have, can I get another volunteer? Can I get another, anybody? Bueller, Bueller. All right, some of you got that, and some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay? But here's what's going on in the church world. Let me, let me show you. We have what the... <laughs> The pastor at 12 Stones Church in Georgia, I love what he calls this next worldview. He calls it the jackalope worldview. Everybody know what a jackalope is? It's a jackrabbit that you put some deer antlers on. Any hunters in here? Okay, right? So a jackalope worldview says, well, there's a God, and he loves me. And there's a heaven. But in general, I'm a good person. And someday I'm going to die. So what's the jackalope worldview? Well, because God loves me, and in general I'm a good person, and I should eventually get to heaven then I could just go ahead and continue to live on this earth and I'll be at home here on the earth and then when I die, I'll go up here to heaven and then that'll be my home. You know what the Bible says? To be one with the world is to be at odds with God. There's all kinds of, I could make this worldview look like Swiss cheese. But most people, this is what they believe. 
and they have no basis for it. They have none. Go back to those questions, right? Go back. Is this logically consistent? Maybe, maybe not. Is it verifiable through, throughout human history, throughout study of sociology and psychology? Is this verifiable? Is there? No, this isn't even verifiable. When you choose this worldview, what you're saying is this. And I, and I, told, I told somebody this yesterday. When you choose your own worldview to construct your own worldview, here's what you're choosing to do. Here's what you're, well, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I... In my 50, 60, 70 years, no more than the decades and thousands of years of thought, study, science, philosophy, psychology. I know more than the last four, all the people and all the hours and all the things spent in the last two to 3,000 years. So I'm going to construct my own worldview. Or is it, let me propose this, or is it you just want to be able to do your own thing? And so you're going to create your own worldview, and you can't tell me right from wrong. And as a result, as a result, you are now living in a complete fallen state, because that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Take it, eat it, you'll be like, you'll be like God. Oh, really? Your own little worldview of this is not substantiated in history at all. I don't have time to get into it. This isn't substantiated in science. This isn't substantiated anywhere. It's not verifiable. It, the only reason that it's relevant, the only reason it's relevant is because it makes you feel good. Well, if I'm living based on my feelings, which one are you? Then I'm here. I'm back with this world, world view. Now, some of you are like, and that's okay. But some of you are like, does this make sense? Are you with me? You have to decide what your worldview is. So when I look out and I see sin multiplying, and understand that sin is exponential. Sin, just, sin does not just add on a little bit here and a little bit there. Sin is exponential. One sin leads to 10, 10 leads to 100, 100 leads to 1,000, 1,000 leads to 10,000. It exp it's exponential. That's why the Bible says that if God didn't, cut time off as we know it, humanity would cease to exist because we would wipe ourselves out. In the last seven years before he comes back for the millennial reign, he says he has to cut those seven years short. Otherwise, we would annihilate ourselves. Wow. Don't believe me? We're not, we're not even close to the tribulation yet. And look at what's going on. Right? This worldview leaves me hopeless. This worldview just feeds into this worldview. This is the only worldview that makes any sense, that's relevant, that I can, I can show you in history and psychology and science that this makes sense. It's verifiable. Thanks, guys. You guys can just, um, yeah, I just set them down, whatever. Thank you. Can we give them a round of applause? Because ain't, ain't none of you walked up here and held nothing, so that was totally bad English, wasn't it? All right, so... Based on your worldview, you will begin to decide when you start looking at what's happening in society, what's really happening, what's really going on, where's this all going. This is the Christian worldview. A Bible, a biblical-shaped worldview says three things as we get ready to wrap this up. 
A biblical worldview says three things. Andrew, Anthony, if you guys want to come on up. One, a Christian worldview says it's God's opinion, not mine. It doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what this thing says. It only matters what scripture and what the Bible says. God's opinion, not mine. You can look at it in 2 uh, Peter chapter 1, 20 through 21. Um, before, before I go any further, this, what, I, what we call the jackalope worldview, this is exactly what Peter addresses, and, and you can just write this down. In 2 Peter chapter 2, go back and read 2 Peter chapter 2. This is what he's dealing with right here. I meant to tell you that. Okay, number two. A biblical worldview means I submit to this thing. Yes, but I feel like, doesn't matter what you feel like, but I think, doesn't matter what you think, this is objective truth. This is true regardless of what you think or what you feel or what society says. 2 Timothy 3, 16, James 1, 23. A biblical worldview is also about relationship, that I love God first and foremost, and that I love the people around me. It doesn't matter if I agree with you or not. You know, you've heard me say that before. It doesn't matter if I agree with you or not. I love you. It, doesn't, it honestly doesn't matter if I think you're the spawn of Satan. <laughs> I love you. Now, just because I love you doesn't mean I hang out with you. You might... You might have some toxic people in your life that you love them, but you just have to cut them off. That's okay. For your own health, for your own mental health, you may have to cut them off. doesn't mean you don't love them. So how do we know what our worldview is? How do, we, how do we examine our own hearts and our own lives to know what our worldview is? What's your prayer life like? What are you praying do you go to God only when there's a need? Do you go to God only when you don't feel happy? God, fix my situation, make me happy. Do you go to God only when your feelings are hurt? It's quite likely that you have a naturalistic worldview. Or when you pray, do you pray, God, not my will be done, but your will be done? You pray, God, I know that you're shaping me through this difficult circumstance, and so show me how to grow and look more like you. That's a Christian worldview, because no matter what I feel or what I think, the Bible remains true, and so I need to bring my life into alignment with it. Not the Bible, the Bible doesn't align with me, I align with it. This is the plumb line throughout all of history. This is the thing that doesn't change throughout all of history. And so if your prayer life is a whole lot of make me happy, make me feel good, God, do this or do that for me, versus God, I love you. Thank you for being the anchor in my life. Whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to go and I'm willing to follow. That is a Christian worldview. Because it realizes that it's not about me. It's about him. So as we stand this morning... We're going to close with a song. And I'm just going to ask you to examine your own heart, examine your own life. What's been your worldview? 
If something doesn't make you happy or you don't understand it, do you just leave and flee instead of trusting God and trusting his authority and the people that he's put in place to lead? Or do you say, well, that doesn't make sense to me and I'm offended and I'm mad and I'm going to leave? Or do you stay and grow through it and learn to adjust because of what God has put in place? I can tell you what an immature Christian does. An immature Christian just bolts, says that doesn't make sense. I'm offended, I'm mad, I'm going to leave. A mature Christian says, I'm going to stick it out, I'm going to grow, I'm going to talk, I'm going to figure out what's going on. One is a naturalistic worldview, one is a Christian worldview. Let's see. 